Welcome to Straight Outta Health IT. Getting into health tech is rough, but here's an unfiltered dialogue of healthcare leaders and influencers covering a wide variety of issues affecting healthcare and the health tech industry. And now your host, Christopher Cunney. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Out of Health IT. I'm your host, Christopher Cunney, and I'm so excited to have this gentleman on our show today. He is a major disruptor in the healthcare and healthcare technology field, and I'm so fortunate and blessed to have him on the show today. Let me introduce you uh, to Dr. Jeff Cohen. And before I uh, bring Dr. Cohen on, let me take a moment just to give you a little bit of his background. This man is uh, just an amazing human being. Dr. Jeff Cohen is a serial disruptor and entrepreneur in the medical and life sciences fields. With more than four decades as a practicing urologist with a specialty in oncology and several years of serving as president and CEO of a 500 plus bed hospital in a very high needs community, Dr. Cohen has provided leadership over one of the largest integrated delivery health networks in the nation. This experience uh, has given him a 360 degree understanding of the economic, clinical, and social issues that are impacting American healthcare. As a physician, he's also developed and introduced several technologies and procedures into the field of urology and has transformed modern medicine with these new techniques. He has his name on more than 30 patents, which have also had not only applications in healthcare, but also in the fields of defense and security. Now, in addition, as a private practice owner and a hospital administrator, he's piloted and scaled approaches to healthcare that has create economies of scale and increased skills in the field of uh, endeavor in healthcare. And then as an entrepreneur and venture capitalist, he's also helped technology and life sciences startups to develop and bring to market uh, technology solutions that increase outcomes uh, within the communities that they serve. Today, Dr. Cohen leads innovation and community health for Allegheny Health Network through the Alpha Lab uh, initiative, where he's actually creating a model to breathe new life in closed uh, core community institutions to support community needs and drive economic growth. He says disruption has uneven consequences. Through his leadership at Alpha Lab, they are working to make sure that the disruption underway in healthcare not only creates new value, but also uplifts the communities left in the wake of change. Dr. Cohen, Cohen's work and passion centers around leading the transformation from a sickness system to a true healthcare system. He's not only alone in this effort, he's, his family is deeply committed to economic, cultural support and services within their beloved city of Pittsburgh. And they participate in several philanthropic organizations that support the continued progress of that community. Dr. Cohen was certified by the American Board of Urology. He received his medical degree from Syracuse Upstate Medical Center. His, his education also includes an internship and residency training in surgery and urology at Case Western Reserve University Hospital of Cleveland, and a fellowship in urology and oncology at the University of Texas ND Anderson Cancer Center Institute. 
Finally, uh, Dr. Cohen has received numerous honors and being highlighted as one of the best doctors in America, Northwestern region, and the best doctor in Pittsburgh, uh, according to Pittsburgh Magazine. He's also been featured in a modern healthcare magazine, Becker's Hospital Review, and many other industry publications. This is an amazing individual who has a track record in leadership and innovation in our industry, and I'm so happy to have him on the program. So join me in welcoming Dr. Cohen to Straight Out of Health IT. Dr. Cohen, how are you doing today? I'm good, Chris. Sounds like um, I was at my own funeral. The way you just <laughs> well, man, I tell you, you've got an illustrious career and you have definitely been a, a thought leader um, and a change agent in our in our industry, which is quite honestly so needed right now. Um, and I want to go ahead and jump into this because I know we only have a short period of time and I already, as we discussed, I know I'm going to have to bring you back because there's no way I can cover all the questions I want to ask of you today, but we're going to try to get as much in as we can before uh, we have to shut down. So first and foremost, you know, tell me a little bit or tell our audience a little bit about your journey uh, into healthcare, into healthcare technology. It's kind of interesting to see someone with your background who obviously was a practicing clinician, but also saw a tremendous amount of value in how technology was impacting healthcare and then chose to start to uh, provide leadership and insights into that part of the industry as well. So give us a little rundown about your journey into space. Well, if you asked me at the very beginning of my journey, uh, what I would be doing towards the end of my journey, I never would have predicted any of this. And, you know, it starts with why do you do these things? And right. every medical student gets asked, why do you want to go to medical school? And the stock answer is, I like science. I want to help people. Exactly. And then you find out later on, you know, there's lots of ways to do those things. And the curiosity that I had as to like, how do things work and why do things do what they do? led me down a lot of different paths. And, you know, I credit my parents and there was this nun that was really important to me growing <laughs> up. And um, you can't be afraid. So first of all, you got to give her a shout out. What was her name? Her name was Sister Mary Jean Ferrier. And she was the hospital administrator for this very small hospital in my hometown of Port Jervis, New York. Nice. And it was a 70 bed hospital. And my dad, who was a lawyer, wanted me to be a lawyer and sister was one of my dad's compadres. And, you know, when I came home and said, I think I want to be a doctor, my father wasn't very happy about that. So he called up sister and said, sister, my oldest son has decided he'd like to be a doctor. And before we waste a seat in medical school on him, I'd like him to start at the bottom and see what this is really like. And we want to make sure he has the right stuff. Right. So sister said to my father, okay, Jerry, I understand. I walked in the first day. I looked like the good humor man as an orderly. <laughs> they took me up to this patient room and it's a 70 bed hospital and it's a small town where everybody knows everybody. Exactly. And the whole, the whole thing was set up. So I walk in the room with the male nurse and he teaches me how to give a bed bath. Right. But, I'm 17 years old, and even at that point, I recognized the guy in the bed wasn't looking real good. Mm -hmm. So um, Paul was showing me how to do this, and we get through the bed bath. And he says, Jeff, when you want to wash their back, uh, their back, you put one hand on their shoulder, one on their hips, and you roll them towards you. Right. And Paul says to me, Jeff, why don't you roll him towards you, and I'll wash his back. I rolled the guy to me, and he died. Oh, my so God. The first patient I had ever touched killed and um experience death exactly I, trial by fire right 
So um, it's Catholic Hospital, St. Francis mm -hmm. Hospital of Port Jervis, New York, and you learn that the toe tag goes on the right great toe, you know, points out you use black ink, not blue, and you print, you don't write. And by 8.30 in the morning, I had taken my first patient to the morgue. I had no idea what a morgue was. And I came back from that, and they had me put a Foley catheter into a male and clean out a fecal impaction. Oh and God. then you got to go to coffee. So in the four summers that I came back, the only time that sister came to coffee was that morning. And she comes up to me somewhat sheepishly and she goes, how you doing, son? Right. I said, sister, it's okay. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I'm good. She goes, well, are you okay? And she was exhibiting an emotion that I had not, I had not seen after that. It was called guilt. Sure. So she goes back to her office and uh, she calls my dad and she says, Jerry, I got sad news for you. He's going to be a doctor. <laughs> and for the well, next I tell you, man, talk, talk about, again, trial by fire. And uh, thank, thank goodness, uh, you know, you knew what you wanted to do at a very early age uh, that uh, the sister there put you through that so that you could validate that. And the, the Lord knew exactly what he had plans for you. So we're excited again <laughs> to see that journey take place and for you to be where you are today. Thank you. Well, you know, let's let's jump into some of the questions. You and I had some conversations earlier this week as we were prepping for this this episode. And, you know, what was probably supposed to be a 15-minute conversation ended up being an hour of discussion <laughs> that we had. So I was uh, uh, just thankful you, you took that time and 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 I'm so excited again to listen to some of the things you're doing and sharing with our audience about uh, transformation and, and healthcare through technology. So let's let's jump in there. Let's first of all talk about you know we chat a little bit about the move from healthcare to health in the overall healthcare ecosystem and the need to do that. Can you offer some context around what you mean by shifting away from healthcare to the concept of health? Sure. So. Healthcare is the treatment of uh, an illness or a problem to restore people back to, you know, their baseline function so they can do what they want to do with their lives. And healthcare is the evolution of the healthcare system from dealing with sickness to preventing sickness. And in many ways, it follows the methodologies that we have that healthcare, as I just defined it, pretty much you know, corresponds to a fee-for-service system. Exactly. You come in, you have a problem, the providers get paid for it, and that's the model that we have evolved, say, over the last 50, 60 years. The concept of health is a value-based system, or how do we keep people out of healthcare? Okay, And you know, the difference is, what is preventative that's going to keep people functioning and away from doctors? On a purely business basis, the old model is that you want to do things to people because you get paid for it. Right. And I'm just talking about the financial part, not you know the uh, the mission driven portion right. of this. And, and I do want you to touch on this as well too. You know, there's a term "no money, no mission," right? So how do you shift away from that mod that that new model of health from healthcare and still have a viable business? So as you go through your explanation, maybe you can touch on that as well. Sure. You know the evolution of where we're going is going to be to a value-based model, meaning that the, the incentives, the financial incentives will align with keeping people healthier. And it's very easy to, to fall into the trap of saying, it's all about the money. They just want the money and that's all there is to it. The answer is, is that we didn't have the knowledge base 
to be able to know what the underlying causes for many of the problems that we have and how to prevent them. And as we evolve the knowledge base, you can also see the evolution of the incentive systems is that instead of paying people to take care of sickness, you're going to pay people to take care of health. Exactly. And similarly, as we develop information and we validate it through a scientific methodology that this is an important factor, we're going to evaluate wellness and say the, the programs that you have really make sense in terms of keeping people out of the hospital. So a lot of the stuff that we talk about today, they're good ideas, but the scientific methodology to evaluate them right. is lacking. So we're going to go through this evolution, and it's going to be generational. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Right. So obviously, you know, you have 30, you know, your name on 30 patents over your career. And, and so clearly technology has played an integral part of your delivery of care. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, share with us your thoughts on why is it important for a healthcare organization, because traditionally this hasn't been the case. Why is it important for healthcare organizations or healthcare leaders like yourself to lead the development of technology and innovation uh, in this industry? So it's a very simple answer. We have to do better. Right. You know, the, the person that sits across from you trusts you to do the best that you can for them. And you can't stop looking for answers and you can't be satisfied that I know all the answers and this is it. So change is implicit in the commitment you make to the mission of helping people. Exactly. And change has to involve innovation to look for answers to problems that allow you to take, take care of people better, cheaper, and faster. So in, inherent into the commitment to helping people is also continually not being satisfied with, I'm doing a great job. It's the curiosity of like, how do I do a better job? Mm -hmm. How do I how do I help people get back to their lives to do what they want to do? So innovation is nothing more than the extension of how do we improve? How do we help people? How do we get them back to what they want to do? Makes sense. And I think one of the ways that clearly you're showing your leadership in this space is uh, the, the work that you're doing through Alpha Lab Health which is a flagship program for Allegheny Health Network, which is focused on supporting startups uh, through your accelerator. Maybe you can share with us a little bit about what's going on there. And then some of the work that you've also been doing at Suburban General. So uh, let's start with Suburban General. So I finished my presidency at Allegheny General and uh, I was given the opportunity to basically be given a white piece of paper and envision what do you do with closed hospitals? Right. And it always interested me, why do hospitals close? And we got the opportunity to do this, partly because I'm sure that the people that uh, are responsible for me, both at the enterprise and the network, were like, just put them over there and keep them quiet for a while. And uh, But they really did give me the privilege of you know, being able to explore this with no strings attached. So we took over a closed hospital, and I was always curious, why do hospitals close? And the short answer to that is that the economics of the community go south. Right. And when that happens, the, the changes in the care for patients also changes because the you're left with a decrease in commercial insurance and an increase in the Medicaid population. And the cost of taking care of the poor and the outcomes of taking care of the poor are significantly worse. So 
how do you envision changing the health system so that it goes from a reactive, fix the problem when it develops, to how do we get in front of these problems, which is basically what we just talked about, about innovation. Exactly. How do we how do we do better? So they gave me a facility that had stopped being a hospital about 2010. And I was very familiar with the facility because when I came to Pittsburgh in 1985, I was on staff and this was a really good community hospital. And as the steel industry withered, the economics of the town went south and the hospital, which had been started in the late 1800s, closed as a hospital. Wow. And then it was open for a few years uh, as a skilled nursing facility and that closed. So now this community asset that was a hospital was sitting essentially empty, a little bit of uh, healthcare activity, but for the most part, the 200 and some odd thousand square feet had very little action going on in it. And the community was at the, you know, the poverty line from U.S. Sure. labor statistics. So on one hand, we envisioned how do we start businesses using the infrastructure that was a hospital? And the trick to this is that the life safety equipment within a hospital is much more substantial than in any office building. And could you use that to the advantage of creating wet labs? And wet lab space is usually very expensive. And the most expensive part of that is the HVAC. And within the ICUs and the ORs of hospitals, it's the same air handling that you need for that. Right. So could we repurpose those things? And the short answer is yes, you could. The second thing is that it's not just about starting businesses uh, that allow us to envision what the future state of the healthcare industry is going to be. It's also about using the same curiosity about what is it that's affecting the poor that makes them respond differently than, say, commercially insured patients to the same diseases. And then the three monikers that we saw at AGH was that the poor do worse, mm -hmm. you get paid less, right. and they have more complications. So from a surgeon standpoint, if you have two people, one of the base understandings is they, they're supposed to do the same if you do the right things. Exactly. But yet every doctor knows that the Medicaid patients usually do much worse for reasons that they're poor. Right. Well, that's... That's not an explanation. That's just an mm -hmm. observation. Right. So we use the same methodology of taking the assets that we have in the facility and how do we repurpose these assets for the community's benefit? So I'll stop there. Is that that's basically what we're doing at Suburban. We're creating Alpha Lab Health, which takes innovative companies, gives them a chance to get started. We do this in conjunction with our partner, Innovation Works. Mm -hmm. And then the other part of the building, we're using this and repurposing it for how do we affect the human condition within the community by educating people, by feeding people, by giving them access. And will this impact on the community, both economically, and we can track this through healthcare charges? You know, I was going to actually touch on that a little bit too, at least ask you to touch on it a little bit. And that is, you know, as you look at these social determinants of health that have an impact on a community's you know, overall uh, health in general. Mm -hmm.
but also the you know the, the, the socioeconomic issues that are, are transpiring in that community that allow them to continue to be depressed. I was just curious as well, you did touch on it a little bit, but maybe you can expound on a little bit more of how what you're doing through this accelerator is helping to benefit those community that community that this facility is currently located in. And then are you also tapping into the resources within that community to help incubate new businesses or create uh, other businesses as a result of the accelerator that's now uh, uh, operating in that region? So these things go hand in glove. And uh, let me start with uh, some general observations is that the essence of a medical relationship is trust and empathy. And there are four groups within a society that we've identified that are based on trust and empathy, education, healthcare, government, religion. And we term those as pillars of communities. Mm -hmm. When you impair trust, then the whole thing goes south. And what we've noticed about taking care of the Medicaid or the poor population, it doesn't matter if it's a poor African-American population on the north side of Pittsburgh, or it's a poor white population in rural Pennsylvania, or otherwhere is a poor Hispanic population in Watts and Compton and Los Angeles. The trust of the poor in the institutions of community has been paired. And for some reason, the association of impairment of trust and healthcare performance of the host, the patient, appear to be related. Now, the social determinants of food insecurity, transportation, housing, education um, are factors. There are observations. And you can feed people, but why is it that hungry people, A, the health systems can't identify them, and number two, they don't trust us. Exactly. So... Will the poor come to a hospital and say, you know, I'm really hungry. Can you help me get a meal? Can you help me find a way to feed my family? Mm-hmm. And not until they're really sick or there's nowhere else to go and their choice is go to the emergency room or go to jail. Right. At that point, you've, you know, you're so far down the path. How do we get in front of this problem? And what we postulated was let's go to the schools. What are their problems? So we started talking to the local school district, and we found that their problems are called anxiety, depression, and it translates into opioids and suicides. Exactly. And, you know, all of these things are linked. And the healthcare world, the problems in healthcare cost are not a healthcare problem. They're a societal problem. And what we're finding out is that we have to look in other domains to get in front of this problem. And it's much more complex than just saying, well, we'll give you food and you'll be better. No, right. it's more than that. Absolutely. And I'm just curious in terms of some of the things your your accelerator are doing, are you reaching back into uh, the community, you know, at the educational level where you maybe into the local schools within those communities and exposing them to these types of careers or opportunities to grow in the uh, healthcare and life science and technology and STEM fields or STEAM fields now? So the answer is yes. And we have, for instance, we have coding programs that start in fifth grade and go to 12th grade. And we bring kids in and we teach them the code. And the key is we also feed them. Exactly. We give them a place that, you know, they get an opportunity to see a different world. And we tie that into the overall process 
within the hospital and introduce them to people that are starting businesses. Like this is what you could look like. Right. This is what your opportunities are. We have a program where we uh, starting a program that'll be active in the next uh, two months, three months for the robotics industry, where the way that we are engaging students is by teaching them to build robots where the purpose of the robots are to beat up everybody else's robots in the winner right. uh, of this competition becomes the champion and there's a prize for that. Um, but in the process, they're learning the skills that are needed for the robotics industry, which is very strong in Western Pennsylvania. Exactly. Um, and we have similar programs across the board where we're dealing with the maladies that the population seems to be exhibiting. And a lot of this is tied to open social networks mm -hmm. where they hear basically unidirectional, unlimited you know, data is what I'll call it from you know, the uh, social media, from Facebook, TikTok, whatever the social media platform is which can be very distorting to the realities around them such that they believe a lot of the garbage that's out there on the internet. Right. They I, call it junk food. I call it junk food for the mind sometimes. Yeah. I, I've got other names for it, but, this is, <laughs> you know, and, and this deals with the community tragedy that I was intimately involved with the tree of life is that what affected, you know, the shooter, Right. That he felt enraged that he had to go shoot up a synagogue and kill 11 people. Exactly. Um, so this whole process is connected. So everywhere is from the poor performance of the poor to biologic threats to the polarization of our society. That's all health. And how do we get to that and start understanding these problems? Once you recognize there's a problem and you can start defining it, there's a lot of smart people out there that will start engaging it. And in doing this process of getting in front of the causation of the poor performance of the poor is the essence of changing from a fee-for-service to a value-based system. Right. So there's a, there's a beneficial cycle that we see that appears to be evolving. And similarly, the economics that support you know, the healthcare industry is similarly evolving and in many ways it's going to follow a lot of what happened to other industries the one in western pennsylvania is steel exactly absolutely and and to your point you know it's it's interesting that the industry is now recognizing that health is a much more holistic uh, approach to how we take care of ourselves, the mind, body, and soul, and all the economic, con socioeconomic conditions that contribute to the well-being of that patient. And it's it's definitely interesting to hear and see that the industry is recognizing that. But there's still some, I, I would have, you know, at least from my perspective, still some inherent challenges around the reality of that. And so I'm just curious from your perspective, as you try to uh, move this narrative forward, what are some of the challenges that you still see the industry has to overcome? And if you have any thoughts and insights on how they can address those challenges or overcome those challenges, be interested to get your insights on that as well. So the, the challenges, um, nothing goes as fast as I wanted to, and it always right. costs more. So the challenges are talking to ourselves. The, the challenges is having honest, open debate about issues. 
you know, not everything is nefarious. Not everything is, you know, Goldilocks either. That's right. It takes time to change. And these large organizations, change is a very difficult thing because change means that you're threatening my job, you know, Mm -hmm. and where am I going to fit in this in the future? It's no different in healthcare than it is in business and anywhere else is that large legacy organizations, hospitals, um, insurers, all the people that are part of the health industry, they don't want to change. They don't want to change because they got a family to feed. They've got debts to pay. And it doesn't matter if you're a doctor or you're, you know, an EVS worker, the changes are threatening to people and the status quo, at least, you know, what you got. So it takes a very determined and curious soul to try and say, Hey, I'm going to try something different. And the motivation for that is based on a mission. So the the changes that we're going through right now are wrenching. Sure. And if, you, and the, if you want to see a parallel, and you know, I had a firsthand view of what happened to the steel industry. The changes that occurred changed to a 50% reduction in the population of Pennsylvania, of Western Pennsylvania. And as it did this, families were, you know, torn apart. People moved from the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were all kinds of things that happened. And it's going to happen in healthcare that the change is going to inflict a lot of pain in a lot of people who right now are doing quite well. But if the system is going to survive, it's going to have to change. The organizations that do change continue on to, to meet their missions. And the the juxtaposition of you know companies that change versus the companies that don't would be the similarity between what happened to IBM that continues to evolve and Eastman Kodak that did not. Exactly. And it's interesting. And, you know, I I know this in the region I'm in, you know, I still see uh, the hospital systems in our region continuing to add more infrastructure, more beds to their, their facilities. When, when you see the trend of healthcare uh, or health now and accountable care is that the goal is to try to really keep people out of the hospital and into, you know, areas that are closest to the patient. Why do you think we still are battling with that paradigm? Or one, maybe I'm just completely off base. Maybe there is a need for these additional beds uh, versus figuring out ways to keep people out of the hospital. No, you're not off base. And, you know, the observations are always there. The evolution of uh, the system post-World War II was based on the unions, which the last thing they would give up would be the healthcare benefits and the negotiated at the time of a contract. Right. And every politician wanted to gain votes by promoting tax-free financing for hospitals. And they could stand up and say, hey, look what I did for you guys. I got you X number of dollars. So the incentives are to continue to build because the debt structure is there to support non-for-profit organizations. And it continued, you know, and it continues to this day. But yet, the center of gravity during the 20th century for healthcare delivery was always the hospital. Right. Patients were, it was the distribution of information, you know, this where the finances were. Today, the center of gravity is the web. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can get your data by logging onto your phone and having a conversation, you know, with somebody on the other side. You can find out where your appointment is going to be scheduled. You can go to multiple institutions and get whatever procedure you want. You don't have to show up at this hospital at this time 
which also corresponds with the economics that go along with it. Sure. So the, the need for those facilities is questionable. Right. The motives for, for building them is also being looked at by a lot of people and saying, do we really need another billion dollar tower? Right. And, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, I see these monstrosities, you know, and they're beautiful and then you go inside, they look like hotels and they're great. But I'm asking myself, is that really what we're, is that solving the problem of health and healthcare, or are we continuing to just double down on the existing model that, uh, of healthcare today? So I'll be kind and say that it's under a lot of questioning right now from a lot of people of sure. what do you re- what do you really need? Because associated with that, you have a regulatory environment and you have a lot of incentives to make these facilities as expensive as you can. Right. But you have a house and you have, you know, a family and you have the needs. Do you build the most expensive thing you can have or do you build what you need at the time? Well, in some cases, you may need to get a different house. You may need to add on or you may need to put some paint on it because it's your money and you're, you know, I don't have unlimited resources. And in other situations, I really do need to build a new house because of the following, you know, somebody had an accident or paralyzed, whatever the issue is. But in a lot of cases, when you start rationalizing the costs and the expense, you end up looking at this and go, why are we doing this? Exactly. And, and you step back and you say, well, let me readjust my expectations. One of the basic problems in healthcare is that the person that consumes the product of healthcare is not the person that pays for the majority of it. That's right. And the realignment of the pricing mechanism for the fees and the services is coming And there's many things that are in the works right now that the early phases have started. That's why it's going to be a generational care. So how much do you want to pay for this when you're footing the bill for it? You really need this. And for the provider side of this, there's lots of people that come in that, you know, they keep coming in and coming in because their expectation is that the system is going to do something to change their life when the answer is that's not going to happen. That's right. And are there lower cost models of care that we should be investing in versus... Again, these traditional models. Right. So, like I said, I knew you know the time was going to fly by in this conversation, <laughs> and we literally have about two and a half minutes <laughs> before we have to end our our conversation. So, I wanted to give you a chance to provide some kind of a final thoughts, and I promise you, you will be back on the program to continue this conversation because there's so many other questions I want to ask you as well too. So, I'm going to give you kind of the last word, and if I do have like 30 seconds or so, I've got a couple kind of fast round questions I want to ask. So, any final thoughts or comments in the next two minutes and 16 seconds? Two minutes and 16 seconds. We're going to go through a lot of change. And the key is not to villainize or personalize the people on both sides of the debate. The key is to honestly ask questions of like, why are you doing this and what do we need to achieve? Because the mission is too important to all of us to just trivialize it with some kind of catchphrase of this, that, and the next thing. There's real debate that needs to go on within the community as to the expectations of both the people that need the care and the people that deliver the care. Absolutely. And the people, I will say this about, you know, my system and my hospital, Allegheny General, is that these are really decent people. These are really hardworking, committed people that for the most part are trying to do the best they can in very trying circumstances. And you're flying a plane and building it at the same time. So, you know, stop the personalization, listen to each other, and give yourselves 
a chance to come to a rational answer as to where we want to be. That, that sounds great. Well, I'm going to leave it there. I'll hold my rapid fire questions for our next uh, episode of uh, when we get together again. I, I want to, again, thank you, Dr. Jeff Cohen, for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to share with us what you're doing at Alpha Labs, your perspective on the industry, and just your overall leadership uh, in helping to transform the industry. I look forward to having you back on the program. And once again, thanks for being a part of Health IT. For those of you who want to hear this program and or share this program with your colleagues, please let them know that we're on all the major podcast platforms, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and your other favorite podcast programs or platforms. Thank you so much for being a part of Health IT. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Take care and God bless. Thank you so much for listening to Straight Outta Health IT. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For more unfiltered dialogue of healthcare leaders and influencers, be sure to tune in next week. For the show notes, transcripts, and resources, please visit Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite streaming platform. We invite you to give us feedback by reaching out to Christopher Cunny on LinkedIn, just searching for Straight Outta Health IT, and you'll find us. We are constantly having live discussions about diverse topics in the industry. 